Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network. Wherever you are, positively different radio in the morning, you are with Lyle and... Renee! Renee, how are you this morning? I'm very well. I'm awake and here. <laughs> that is a very positive thing. It would yeah. not be as positive if you, if you were not awake and if you were not here. I would be doing the radio show by myself. That's right. Yeah. So, good news this morning. Good news this morning. Yes. Well. What are you thankful for? What am I thankful for? In particular. Um, I'm really thankful for recycling. I think it's such a great thing in this world. And um, to be honest, I was cleaning my room, um, setting it all up, and I was like, wow, there's a lot of recycling that needs to happen. So, save the planet. Yay. Save the turtles. So, it all went in the uh, bin with the yellow yellow lid on it. Yellow lid. Yes. All the cardboard boxes and all the things. Yes. Nice. <laughs> I totally support recycling. I think it's the best thing ever. I like collecting all kinds of stuff and taking it in for recycling and recycling scrap metal. If anybody's got scrap metal, they want me to recycle. I'm happy to do that for them. I do enjoy the cash that I get whenever I take it to the <laughs> scrap metal recycler. I didn't know you could do that. Yes. Oh. Oh, there you go. Some, uh, so if you've got any you know, metal objects there. Turn I'll, them I'll be sure to come to you. It, uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's exactly mm-hmm. Bring them to me. <laughs> I will turn them into cash. Sort of like the plastic bottles that you can give in and get five cents. Like, yes. Or the return and earn thing that you can do. Have you ever done that? I have. Not personally. Like, I've been with my mom or my friends. Like, they'll do it and they'll get, like, money back. And it's really yeah. cool. You get, like, five bucks or yeah. 20 bucks or something. It, it all adds up. It all adds up. Absolutely. I do it. I do it. You do it. It's actually the least... Profitable form of really? cash recycling. Huh. If you can hmm. get copper or brass, then you're going to really have something worth recycling. <laughs> that's that's the stuff that you want to find the right metals. there. <laughs> yes, indeed. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively Fantastic. Different. Let's have some positively different news. Awesome. Well, I'll start with the first story. This story was actually sent in by one of our awesome listeners, Daniel. He sent that to me. Um, so sharing it this morning. Um, it is about two women who met each other and they worked together at a bar in Connecticut. They recently found out they were actually biological sisters. So 31-year-old Julia Tinetti and 32-year-old Cassandra Madison, they they met um, at work at New Haven, according to their uh, what they've shared. And they soon learned that they were both adopted from the Dominican Republic and they noticed they had the same matching tattoo from the country. And so at that moment, that was sort of a point of connection. They, re- they were like, they were really tight. Um, they started hanging out. They went out for dinner. They started dressing alike. Um, Madison shared, oh, I thought she was really cool when they really just hit it off. They had that, like, that chemistry that you have with people sometimes, you know, you really yeah, just kind click. Of instant connection. Instant cl- connection. That's right. Um, and even though they looked very much alike, they, the women just, it, it, they just didn't believe they were related. No, you wouldn't, you wouldn't even think of that. No, yeah, it exactly. Even go your mind. It's just a, it's they just it's a good friend they met. Um, they even compared adoption papers actually, and with the information, it didn't match up. So, um, the papers said that they were from two different cities with two different last names, and their mother's names on their paperwork were actually different. That's what Tanetti explained. However, everything changed in 2018 when Madison's adoptive adoptive mother gifted her a DNA test. And the results led to Madison to her biological dad in the Dominican Republic. 
and it also helped her match with several distant relatives, which I know that you recently, uh, the other year. (laughs) I did. I did a DNA test and I found some relatives that I had no idea that I had. So that was super exciting. Uh Uh-huh. So similar thing. And and I've been to meet them and have conversations. Did you you click with them? Like in in a sense, you kind of have that family bond. You do. Um, in addition, she learnt that their, their mother, actually, their biological mother passed away in 2015 and that they gave up another daughter for adoption. So they have another sister out there. And so once Madison convinced Tanetti to take the DNA test, the results shared, they say, they shared the same biological parents, same mom and same father. Oh, really? Both yeah. the same? They are yeah. actual full sisters. Full sisters. How cool. That is incredible. <laughs> Um, they posted on social media, we are sisters, same mom, same, da- same dad, um, and Facebook, you know, users express their joy at, like, this is so cool, you know, you find your mom. Is there sister. much of an age gap between them? No, one year. Oh, one year, yeah. one year, yeah, one year. Yes. Um, and so people are just really happy they found each other, they've reunited, um, just a beautiful story to have. You know, the world is a big place and you get adopted and you get adopted into a foreign country and you get adopted into one of the most populous foreign country, populous foreign countries in the world. What are the chances? Right? What are the chances you end up working together? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, in the same building and, you know, a lot of buildings have a lot of people working in them, you know. Yeah. Uh, what are the chances that you actually meet and you build a connection? That's, That's just right. fantastic. And, like, I'm looking at their picture right now. They have the, they have similar eyes. They really they really do look like sisters. Yeah, they could definitely pass for sisters. Yeah, I do. No question about that. Yeah. So, thank you for that story. Um, How did their biological parents react? Are they um, still alive? Did they... Yes, apparently they they're... Chase them down their and parents- them? Oh, their biological, so their mother passed away in 2015, but their father is alive in Dominican Republic. So hopefully they get to meet their father. That would be incredible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Imagine that. And I their just... sister. They, they heard they had another sister somewhere. And was their other sister a- adopted as well or raised by the family? Or? Um, it doesn't, doesn't sh- say. It doesn't say. It doesn't okay. say. But. Because if she was adopted as well, and see, she, she suddenly found that she had two sisters. I mean, how exciting would that be? I found it so exciting when I've had, I had relatives I didn't know that I had. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, I, I hope she, um, yeah, it's nothing better than a family reunion. So, Renee, mm. when's your DNA test? You're going to go looking for some unknown relatives? I want to. I really want to. Um, I'm going to do it this year. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, make sure that you come and report to us. I'll let you know the results. What you find out. <laughs> definitely want, want to know what you find out. Yeah. Um, are you, let's go on to another story real quick. Um, you've heard the story of the Bible of the lost sheep. Well, this story is about the lost surfboard. <laughs> um, a couple stumbled across a strange sight. They were walking across the beach, probably on a romantic walk, who knows, and they saw a blue and yellow surfboard. Maybe they were exercising. Oh, yeah, probably. <laughs> Running. <laughs> I just poured cold water on all of your romance, didn't I? <laughs> you really did. Well, it was probably an early morning, it did say. It started when Lee Brogren, Lee Brogren actually had been wiped out by a massive wave while surfing off Yorkshire coast in England last year. And he watched in agony as his surfboard disappeared into the ocean, never to be seen again. Broke the leg, bro- leg rope and mm. it's gone. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Or so he thought. He gave, <laughs> he gave up hope um, for ever seeing it again. Um, his t- it was a 10-year-old board. Um, but thankfully, a couple found it about 400 miles away, which is 643 kilometres away, in Scotland. 
That's a that's a decent journey. Yeah. That that surfboard has covered some distance. That surfboard covered some distance. This board it, it's a Walden board, so it costs a, like over a thousand five hundred dollars Australian dollars. Um, and although it was marooned off the shore off some gravel, it was still completely intact. Um, and this couple who found it, they said their interest was peaked to the point that they wondered where it came from and how far it came, and they wanted to know the story behind it. Very curious people, so. Good, good for them. They took it to Facebook to, to see if anyone knew where it was from. And eventually they found the owner and they questioned the owner. And they discovered, yeah, this person really owns this surfboard. Um, they sent it back with a little message and they're just very glad that this person was like shocked like that. Yeah, that's my surfboard. I can't believe you found it. <laughs> <laughs> it would be amazing to track that down, you know, have a look at the ocean currents and try and yes. figure because a surfboard's not really going to catch a lot of wind. Yes. So it's going to be mostly driven by ocean currents. Yeah, that's right. So how did it end up travelling that far, never gets run over by a boat or anything like that, never gets wrecked on rocks, comes up on a beach? That's a pretty random story. But uh, (laughs) pretty cool what happens in our world these days. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. So the Equality Act has just passed through Congress in the United States and is uh, has... It's going to pass through the Senate and be signed into law. This is one of the promises that Joe Biden promised to do in the first 100 days of being in office. Uh, this was a bill that was put forward by Nancy Pelosi back in 2019 and back then, of course, had no hope of becoming law. Uh, it was knocked back by the uh, Republican Senate. And on the surface, it's the kind of bill that I think that you know all of us could support because we all support equality. Uh, we all support equality uh, of opportunity for everybody, and that, I think, is a very, very important Christian value that we must have, mm. uh, that everybody gets the same opportunities. Jesus gives everybody the same opportunity for salvation. He died for every single person. Every person is of the same value, uh, regardless of you know who they are or you know what uh, disabilities they might carry or where they come from or what language they speak. In the Bible, everybody has the same equality of value. However, this bill goes way further than that because it prohibits discernment. Hmm. So basically, well, it prohibits discernment of the sexes. Ah, okay. So it is. It is will now become illegal to discern. Well, that person is a woman, and that person is a man. But the thing with equality is that equality recognizes that there are differences, but the value is still the same. Like men and women. Equality are, should. But yes. do, and this is where there's two different kinds of equality that are sort of floating around in our world. You have biblical equality, you have Christian equality that recognizes that there are differences and that there is variety and that God likes differences and God mm. likes variety and God creates different things for different purposes. Yeah. Then you have evolutionary equality where everything, where there are no differences and everything must be the same and everything is of, you know, um, everything is of equal value. Um, and every, and, and, you know, so for instance, gender is a social construct. It's not, it doesn't actually exist. <laughs> it only exists in I our disagree. mind. <laughs> I disagree. Well, the Bible disagrees with that as well because the Bible says that God created men as men and women as women. Mm-hmm. And that's the most, you know, that's the amazing thing about the creation. I mean, how wonderful is that? 
Mm. We should celebrate that. Yeah. This is something that should be enjoyed and celebrated Not and embraced. Hated. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> don't have a war against it. Yeah. Okay, so um, this bans discrimination uh, based on sexual orientation and gender identity. So what it means is, uh, from a practical perspective, you know, there's a whole bunch of good things within the law, but from a practical perspective, churches are going to be forced to open their women's toilets to biological men. Now, you know, you reverse that equation, I don't think too many men are going to feel threatened by that because, you know, if a woman comes into a man's toilet, you know, men are not going to feel threatened because generally, you know, we're, we're, we're bigger and stronger and, and we just generally don't feel threatened mm. by men. But you're a woman and I'm wondering how you would feel about that if suddenly you lost all of your women's safe places. Mm. Yeah, I probably wouldn't go then. This is the the problem. And people don't want to say that, though. People don't don't want to sound bad, but, like, the reality is, like, um, (laughs) the reality is it's it's tough. I I think this is terrible. I think this is a war on women. I think that I I don't understand why so many more women aren't standing up and saying something about this. Um, Okay, so the second thing is, um, and that's with threat of jail term, like if a church doesn't open their women's toilets. Is this to is this specifically what is being This is one of the this is it's a very big law. It covers a whole lot of stuff. These are some of the things that the law covers. Really? Yes. Like so the jail terms. Oh, wow. If you don't do this, this is being enforced. It's not it's not saying, okay, now you have the freedom to do this if you choose to do this. Yeah. It's now saying this is what's enforced. Oh. Oh, okay. Huh. Yeah, so that's that's a bit scary. Okay, so any Christian college that has a code of conduct, right, that prohibits sex outside of marriage or uh, refuses to allow men to compete in women's sports will lose their federal funding. Okay, so for instance, you go to a college right now yeah. that, as far as I understand, would have a code of conduct mm-hmm. that would say, um, you know, there's no sex outside of marriage. If mm-hmm. you are participating in sex outside of marriage, then you can't be a staff member here, mm-hmm. uh, those kinds of things. Uh, I would imagine that would be the code of conduct at the college that you go to because it's a mm-hmm. Christian college mm-hmm. and these are biblical principles. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that they have men's sports and they have women's sports. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they'll have some some social sports where everybody mixes in together for sure and, and that's all good and fun as well. But I would imagine that you would have the opportunity to choose, do I want to play in a uh, in a mixed team or do I want to play in a women's team? Mm-hmm. Um, that would be banned under this particular new law and uh, the college that you attend would lose all federal funding if it was in the United States and if the Code of Conduct said, you know, you can't be sleeping around. That's really like going into your own morals. Oh, I tell you what, this is really disturbing stuff. Okay, so think about the implications of this on the wedding, the Christian wedding industry. So uh, you're going to have a whole bunch of, say, for instance, caterers, photographers, venue operators, etc., who say, well, you know, we don't we don't support same sex marriage, or we don't, you know, and you know, there's plenty of other people that can provide those services, but because of our conscience, because of our understanding of the Bible, we don't support that uh, for whatever reason, and we can agree or we can disagree with them. That's mm. not the issue. Mm. The issue is that they should have the freedom to make that decision. Yeah. 
based on their conscience, regardless of what religion it is, whether it's Christianity or Islam or Judaism, which are your Abrahamic religions, or Buddhism or Hinduism, or whatever religion it might be, they should have the right to be able to live and to worship according to their conscience Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and to operate their business in line with their conscience. Well, all of those businesses will be closed down under this legislation. Um, Congressman Andrew Biggs stated that this is a devastating attack on humanity. He stated that while it attacks religious freedom, freedom of expression and freedom of association, all important rights recognised in the First Amendment, it doesn't stop there. It also denies the biological facts that men and women are two genders. Hmm. The bill recklessly requires girls' and women's restrooms, lockers, gyms, or any place a female might seek privacy to surrender that privacy to biological males, women's sports already being infiltrated, etc. Now, we had this recent story coming out of Melbourne, um, and you can find this. It's a very interesting, it's it's really kind of mind-blowing for me because I, I sort of looked at, you know, this when it first started happening. I thought, well, you know, you go to the toilet and you go into your cubicle and you lock the door. You've got your privacy there. That's enough, you know, and what, what's everybody so worried about it? But I didn't realise that I was just looking at it through a man's eyes mm. until I read, um, you know, noconflictthesaid.org. Uh, um, which is a website created by Dr. Holly Lawford-Smith from the University of Melbourne where she has created a place where women who have suffered um, sexual abuse and attacks in women's only places by men are able to tell their stories. Mm. And if you read through that, I mean, that website just blew up as soon as she opened it up. I can't believe it. I think it was like 27 pages of of uh, testimony that went up in a very short space of time mm. of just really, really nasty attacks, you know, in women's toilets, change rooms, mm. et cetera, et cetera, showers and so forth, um, abuse and a harassment um, by males who were going in there, fully male, but saying, well, I can be here because I identify as a female. Mm. Of course, she was uh, sacked from the uh, University of Melbourne on the spot and uh, professional hackers have been hired to close down the website. This is the world in which we live these days. Bit of a scary place, but I'm thankful that Jesus is coming soon. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. We've got uh, David Haupt joining us on the phone this morning. David Haupt, welcome to the show. Good morning. Good morning to your listeners. Now, David, I understand we're starting a new theme that we're going to uh, pick up and talk about over the next few weeks. What is it we are talking about? We're talking about the theme of addictions, one that is really paralyzing many many families and sadly uh, destroying many lives at the same time. The theme of addictions, this is actually a really big theme. It's something that I think that affects every one of us either directly through our own personal addictions or through people who are close to us who are addicted to various, you know, addictive things, I guess. Um, And addiction... You know, as I look at it, it comes in very many different forms. You have uh, drug addictions of various forms. You then have uh, pornography, gambling, gaming, um, all these different kinds of addictions. I'm wondering whether we can start by talking about, you know, broadly speaking, 
Why do we get addicted to things? How do we get addicted to things? What kind of a person is particularly vulnerable? Are there any people who are immune from di- addictions? Have a, have a sort of a big picture discussion about addictions and then maybe as we continue through the series, look at some of the specific addictions that are out there. Sure. Um, Lyle, what, you, what you're touching on is actually a, a, large, a large study subject because we can look at personality, we can look at the hereditary of a person, the physiological reactions, background and culture. In other words, looking at parental models, parenting attitude, cultural expectation. We can look at uh, present stress, perpetuate influences, spiritual influences. All of that really makes up uh, and, and give us as an understanding of what would really influence a person. But let's just quickly look at the, the question, is it possible to look at an individual, uh, draw blood from them and be able to say this person will become an addict and that one not? Um, I don't think that it's so easy. But what we do know today is that certain personality traits appear with above average frequency in people that are addictive. And that is high levels of anxiety, emotional immaturity, problems in accepting authority, low ability to tolerate frustration, low self-worth, feelings of, and, and sometimes, by the way, it, it hides behind grandiosity. In other words, they put up a major front. Feeling of isolationism, perfectionism, guilt and compulsiveness, all of that are uh, traits that we see so regularly in people that battle with addictions. Yeah, that's quite an extensive list there when you sort of work your way through it. Are there any people that sort of don't have at least one of those problems? Exactly. And therefore, we need to look at other other elements in our life as well. We know today that a child that grows up in a home where parents are playing around with addictive behaviours actually has between 40 to 60% of chance to become a drug addict themselves. So in other words, the parental model um, adds to that. Uh, we, we further in this look at research that was done by Perry in 2001 that says that stress pathways that happens even within the womb long before birth even plays a major role in this and starts to shape this uh, individual into the direction that they would go one day. Now, uh, when you talk about stress, path, stress pathways in the womb, um, I guess a, a thought that comes into my mind is, you know, the role of the father in that because obviously, you know, you and I are both fathers. Um, is there a role that the father has to play in making sure, I guess, that the mother is uh, as least stressed as possible during pregnancy? Such an important uh, responsibility that a father has to be present with a mother, not just physically present, but also creating a calm environment, a supportive environment, knowing that that child that is still due to be born will be born in a permanent relationship where that child will have both a mother and a father. So the, the heightened levels of stress of a single mother, of a mother that is uncertain about what the future might hold for her, and the baby has a direct impact on how the child one day even will view themselves in terms of their worth and their value. Mm, some really important uh, 
things I think for all of us to think about, particularly in a world where single motherhood, you know, is very high. And I guess those feelings of insecurity that a single yeah. mother might have that a mother in a, in a stable relationship doesn't have, um, yeah. those feelings of insecurity, are they, are they passed on to the child and do they result, does insecurity a major factor in, in creating a, an addictive kind of environment? Very much so, very much so. What is further very interesting, Lyle, is that research shows that parental permissiveness or parental rejection or punitiveness uh, also plays a role in creating uh, a, you know, help to create a foundation for a person to develop addictive behaviors. So a child that grows up in a home where there's not clear boundaries, where a child is not uh, being clearly shared what they should and what they shouldn't do, where parents themselves are also from time to time self-medicate, I'm putting inverted commas, their own emotional state through the use of substance or so forth, often creates the pathway for that child to go down exactly the same route. But at the same time, parents that are very punitive, judgmental, or lives with uh, or, or present rejection towards that child. So the absence of father can be perceived as a rejection. So how um, do we draw that, that balance then? How do we draw the balance between being punitive as a parent and not being permissive because, you know, the moment we create boundaries – Obviously, crossing those boundaries is going to come with consequences, and those consequences are going to be punitive in nature. How do we how do we create a healthy balance between those two? I I guess it is the attitude of the parent. I can and yeah, I I take our heavenly Father as a great example, where he he rejects sin, but not the sinner. Sinners are drawn to Jesus Christ. And our children should be drawn to us, although they know that there's consequences for the behaviors, uh, you know, that we do. And it is that fine line of a child experiencing not just the consequence, but feeling a rejection at the same time versus the child that also experience uh, consequences for their behavior, but actually feels that they are not rejected, but they are still part of that family and still cherished. Mm, so much we can do as parents. Yeah, very much. And uh, we, we, we not just talk about, um, you know, the, the consequence and the behavior that a child, a parent carries on in the future generation, which we call epigenetics, but neuroplasticity, where we actually can change and stop the direction that that neuropathway has led us all along and help the next generation to be completely different in their approach. Um, there's other issues as well that we can look at, and that is uh, that medication or, or medicating our present stress. So how does parents deal with things when they are under major stress? Do they reach out for a bottle in, in you know, a cupboard and uh, swallow down alcohol or uh, keep on taking medication? A child observes that and says that there's a solution in a bottle, solution in a substance. And therefore, when they go through major stress in their life, they actually turn exactly that same route. 
And uh, often I hear parents say, don't do as I do, do as I say. And um, sadly, our children follow the example that they see reflected in our own lives. So it becomes a, a escapism, escape route for for our children one day as they deal with uh, stresses and strains. So I think for a lot of people today, you know, um, have a stressful day, you like to relax at the end of the day with a uh, with a beer or a glass of wine, depending on, you know, your, your social background, whatever it might be, and your preference. Um, and that's a way of unwinding and de-stressing at the end of the day. Are we actually destroying our children by doing so, by setting them up for addictions? We are. We are setting an example which we hope that they will not follow, but in reality, uh, they will. And as the research shows, between 40 to 60% of our, our young people will follow exactly in that same route. Um, I remember working for a while in Zimbabwe during the uh, war when there was still Rhodesia, and um, people could not go uh, past, uh, you know, the evening sundowner, you know, without having that sundowner. And uh, they just couldn't relax without it. It was war, and that helped them to relax. But we often look at alcoholism as a person, alcoholic as a person that brings them to a paralysis. The truth is that the addiction of to alcohol, for instance, is where there's a certain um, sequence, and I just cannot break that sequence, even if it's just one beer, but I have to have it every night. Uh, I'm, I'm not drunk. I'm not paralytic from it, but I cannot go past that. means that I've already been uh, affected, and I'm, a, I'm an alcoholic. So, and this is probably jumping ahead um, way too far with this question, but I'm just sort of thinking for the average person out there who likes to relax at the end of the day with a cold beer or a glass of wine, um, what, the, what, what, what would be a great alternative to that, what, to something that they could do differently? If they had the privilege, like you, Lyle, uh, staying not too far away from the ocean, they could actually take their kids for a walk and go for a, uh, a stroll uh, you know, on the beach or even in a park or wherever, breathing in those negative ions and playing a ball with kids will actually do far better in relaxation than what it would be to, uh, to sit down with a beer. Because the stress doesn't really go away. Uh, the complexity of addictions is that um, it just numbs my sense of that, uh, that, that awareness of that stress, but it doesn't process it. It doesn't get it out of the way. So the alcoholic that comes for therapy that needs withdrawal actually has to face all the issues of the past, which they have tried to drown it, uh, it with, with alcohol. It hasn't gone away, but it's, it's, it's compounded and has become more complex now to deal with. Mm, and I guess, it, you know, if you don't have the opportunity to take your kids down to the park or whatever, take your dog. And if you don't have a dog, you can kind of get them for free most places. Grab a rescue dog and that rescue dog will love you unconditionally and you will have uh, something to uh, to take for a walk and have some great companionship with 
Um, you know, I guess there's always lots of alternatives. This is going to be a fascinating uh, series, David. I'm really looking Thanks forward to for it. being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.